Hi, I'm Dave Kittredge, filmmaker in Los Angeles, and this is The Outcast, presented by Outfest, where we have conversations with LGBT creators and allies to discuss their work, their inspirations, their passions, and the challenges of getting our authentic voices heard. And for the season finale of The Outcast, we're going to do a two-part episode, highlights from The Outfest Film Festival. I'm going to be talking with filmmaking teams from five feature films from this year's Outfest Film Festival. And to kick it off, I'd like to welcome Damien Navarro, the executive director of Outfest, as well as Mike Dockerty, the director of programming. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you, David. Well, thank you so much for having us, David. Damien, congrats on Outfest this year, especially under these insane 2020 crazy circumstances. It's been an interesting journey, to say the least, for uh, one's first tenure year. <laughs> when did you know that July, which is when Outfest generally happens every year was just not going to happen in 2020. Uh, I think when most of us suddenly realized that uh, what had been sold to us is uh, at least six weeks of safer at home was going to be more like six months. And I, I think there was an in-between area where, you know, talking to all of the smartest friends that you have, everybody had their their guess on when we actually might emerge from, from our molehills. Um, little did we know it would even go past August. <laughs> yeah. But you did something very, very smart. You did a dual thing. You did a digital component and you did drive-ins and both I think were massively successful. Is that correct? They were. I mean, you know, anytime you're going to do something different, especially within our community, you know, they're going to have a lot of, you're going to have a lot of feedback, uh, especially with something <laughs> no. that's, been, that's been done Gay for festival so people? Like feedback? Really? Uh, don't, don't even get me started about that. <laughs> the Outfest brunch at Sundance and, and moving, just moving the venue and what that might have caused, uh, you know, <laughs> earlier this year. But no, I, you know, really listening to everybody, you had to kind of understand what was more important or what were the most important things. And I knew at the top of that list was hell or high water. We wanted some sort of opportunity for the community to come back together and we would push the limits uh, for with as healthy as we could possibly be um, to make sure that happened this year. Because I think by the time, you know, July had rolled around, we all were desperately wanting to reconnect. So the, the, yeah. the drive-ins were just uh, an incredible way to exercise that. Well, let's talk about the two components. The first one uh, was the digital component, which was Outfest Now, which was basically an Apple TV or I think a Roku. Was it on Roku as well? Everything, like, yeah. Yeah, yep. so it's an app, and you would purchase a pass, and every film that would have been on Outfest, just like, you know, like we would go see it at the DGA or the Chinese or wherever it was, you would be, get 72 hours to watch it. Um, at home whenever you wanted. And uh, you threw this together in like no time. It was definitely a breakneck speed. Um, you know, the whiplash I'm sure from the team is still being felt. Uh, I'm sure we're still paying for some spas and massages somewhere around um, <laughs> for there. But Wait, where can you get a spa and massage right now? <laughs> it's all virtual. It's just virtual. You massage yourself while somebody's Pointing to where you're supposed to touch. I'm mind. on That's the outcast. I, I want a massage, man. <laughs> like where, I want to sign up. I mean, listen, this <laughs> this dates back well before, before before COVID. You know, this idea that we would launch some sort of digital channel, um, digital platform. We knew years ago that you know that festivals were going to have to evolve at some point. Yeah. I don't think anybody quite anticipated it would be so soon. So we started that. August of last year, it just was supposed to be three to four years, you know, of planning and and figuring out how it would work within the the mission of Outfest. But and you did it in one year. 
That's one insane. year, if not or less, actually three like, what, months, just a few months. That's amazing. Yeah, three months. So, um, so it was very exciting because we knew, you know, sometimes under duress, you are the most innovative. You know, it's, it's something that nobody wants to ever admit, but I think all of us can use examples in our lives in which we had to pivot really quickly, um, and it ended up being probably better than what we would have done if we had all of the time in the world. So I'm hoping that was the case. As a filmmaker, there's nothing better than seeing your movie in a theater. So it's like, I, I don't want that to go away for Outfest, but like, do you see it kind of like being something where, okay, you show a movie in a theater, and then like a day later or two days later, if you have an Outfest Now subscription, you you can watch it for like 24 hours or 36 hours or whatever it is. That's definitely something we're exploring. We know that, you know, if you look at the Outfest mission, it's all about bringing more visibility and opportunities to filmmakers. And if if we look at those those queer filmmakers, whether it's in television or or streaming media or films, there's such a select few that ultimately get seen. Yeah. Uh, that ultimately start working regularly. And and for us, you know, if you go back to what I like to refer as the byproduct, the 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 exhaust of film festivals is a litterment of just incredible works of art and stories that nobody ever sees again. Uh, you know, most of us. Or it's have super through, difficult. Yeah, it's super yeah, difficult to, to discover there. those things. And so we already knew there was an incredible need for us to go backwards, not forwards yet, and and and, ha and really tap into this incredible library of, of stories that could go back 10, 15 years yeah. that we knew people would not only enjoy, but also was critical to sometimes giving these storytellers a reboot of, of something that they probably haven't had in a while. It's, you know, we sell our souls sometimes for these short films that people don't realize. Um, you know, coming out of film school, the, the pressure to what's your first project and how is that going to lead to something bigger? Oh, no, there's a galaxy of amazing short films that, is, oh my God. like, unless you know the names of them, you can find them maybe here or there on YouTube or Vimeo because there's no real, I mean, there, there used to be, um, wait, I've been talking like 20 years ago because my first short film, which all, premiered at Outfest in 1998, oh my God, I'm dating myself, but it's true, uh, went to a VHS short compilation. Like I know Marcus Hu and, and John at Strand were doing these boys shorts, boys briefs, um, and a bunch of the other companies were doing that too. So that was a way to see gay shorts, but that's kind of fallen by the wayside with YouTube and Vimeo. So if, if there's one place where everyone can see all of these amazing shorts, that's just an amazing, amazing thing for, you know, people who love gay film. 100% agree. And that's that was just really the, the tip of the iceberg, right, of, of why we should do this, why now, we know that all of our attention spans have shrank, so short form content is actually a beautiful thing that people really covet. And uh, for those that aren't traditionally going to film festivals, you know, I think it's a, a just a gem of a mountain of content that people are really going to be excited to, to discover. Uh, obviously, Alphas Now is not just going to be about shorts. You know, there's so many different things that we want to do with it. Even yeah. this podcast can be featured and, and brought to you on yes, uh, that is streaming streaming currently on, on Alphas Now. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is what does the community want and what will audiences really respond to? I think the beauty of starting up what I like to refer to as the PBS of, of queer entertainment is the fact that we have both the community, a mission, and an incredible industry that wants to see this thing come to life. And that's something we saw very, very early on in its development. And the other awesome thing that happened this year, uh, which I didn't expect before you announced it, was the drive-ins. Now, you guys rented 
I, where is it in Malibu somewhere like this lovely ranch and there were two drive-in screens and I have to say um, over the two weekends um, it was the not the first time I felt kind of like normal again seeing a movie but it was it was it, I felt just this sense of like I mean everyone was safe everyone was wearing masks so nobody like think otherwise it was completely safe um, but it just felt great to be watching a movie even if we're all in our cars watching a movie with all of these people all of these gay people at outfest and it just it, it was just extremely moving it really was for me and i know a lot of people well it's also something i think i needed as as the executive director to really put my faith bring my faith back to what's possible and what this community will get behind a support because it was a little bit like your first quinceanera well hopefully it's your only quinceanera <laughs> some of us like to lie how many did you have? Just a few. I, th- I still have them. I still have them. It's like once every five years. <laughs> They're themed now. Um, but no, I, I, it was it was so it was so important for for I think not only our community but for myself to to really see that that we could do anything. And when we talk about you know the months that it took to plan and and launch Outfest now, you know the drive-ins were done. I, and I'm not kidding here. In two weeks. That's you know, insane. We, we had no And it idea. went off without a hitch. I just want to let everyone like, – like, I went to two of them, and they were just – it was hitchless. It was like they were perfect. I mean, it well, went so well. I can tell you that the – Oh, know, do you the, know the hitch? You don't have to say if there's a hitch that I missed. I don't know. <laughs> there's no hitch. It's just the, machi- <laughs> the machine that was Outfest, you know, and led by uh, Kerry Stoughton-Jackson and, and the team – just watching this group come together, which of course was my first time to see it at you know any kind of substantive level, uh, was just eye-opening. And you know the team at Calamigos uh, Ranch was also equally incredible. But it did. It took so many people to come together at the last minute and do their jobs at the most excellent of levels for that to happen. Uh, and it just felt good that you know from an audience perspective, they didn't see how <laughs> struggling <laughs> struggling and difficult it was to, to pull it off but that's 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 the intention right well congratulations I mean it was really it was really lovely and really something and I know that I mean next year's outfest will probably not be as hopefully not be as challenging yes but I do want to pivot to the five films we're gonna cover in this two-part episode Mike okay yeah when I thought of this idea to do a best of outfest thing it's not really the best of it's just like five of our favorites uh you had a list i had a list and a lot of overlap on this list and just to just to clarify obviously as the director of programming you 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 love every film in the festival I, so when, yeah. you say, when you say best of you no, know it's, it, it's a it's a collection of highlights it's a collection of uh you know filmmakers that were available to talk that's <laughs> true and, and, yeah. and, and, I, and i should but, say english language films too yeah, of because, course yeah because we, we we didn't there's very hard to have subtitles on a podcast yeah and our lists i think we were also looking at you know films that dealt with a diverse array of subject matter and yeah. and voices and, and and at least one there's one documentary on here because that was very important to me because i thought yeah. the documentary lineup actually this year was absolutely phenomenal and i'm upset that we can't have more documentaries on here because every documentary i saw this year um was just fantastic i'm sorry don't be upset dave <laughs> <laughs> let's start with tahara yeah, Tahara. Um, this film world premiered at Slamdance, um, so it, it has the distinction of being a, a festival film that actually got theatrical screenings this year. Lucky that. It was very, yeah, I mean, we were at Sundance, and I hadn't heard about this film until well after the fact, um, and I just absolutely loved the the writing and the, the uncommon milieu that it takes place in. It's a coming-of-age film set in a single day at a, uh, basically a, a teen talkback at a Hebrew school, 
where two young girls uh, over the course of the day, um, one realizes her feelings for the other that aren't really reciprocated. Um, but it's set during a kind of a mourning process for one of their classmates that's taken her own life and, and her, you know, sexual orientation comes into play as well in the plot. But it, it was it, it was just such a distinct setting and the dialogue was so particular to these two girls and to this setting. And, and it's very much set in the social media world of today's youth um, and filmed in a way that that speaks to that, you know, Instagram aesthetic, um, but isn't overpowering. It's, it's just, it's, it's very subtle part of the, of the formal elements of the film. I, I completely was over the moon for this one. It's a very particular, unique vision. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, um, I believe a first feature by the director, Olivia Peace and written by Jess Seidman. Um, and it, it blends in Olivia Peace. Uh, I actually recently got to catch up with her and she's kind of a, multifaceted artist and works in in gaming and visual arts and animation as well and she kind of has has a few moments in this film where her her animation background comes into play if if the viewing audience hasn't seen it yet it's it's really lovely moments so i don't want to spoil how it kind of works its way in but it's it's just a really cool um, film that kind of came out of nowhere to surprise me with with how much I loved it. Yeah, it's one of the, it's one of those examples of like kind of an independent film that just kind of was like a gem. So that's Tahara. Let's talk about Cowboys. Cowboys uh, was meant to premiere at Tribeca, um, and of course COVID shut that down. So I, I I'm not quite sure if we were the first kind of public screening of it, but I, I think we may have been. Um, and it's a really uh, wonderful story uh, about a trans child whose parents uh, are played by Steve Zahn and Jillian Bell. The, the child is played by Sasha Knight, a wonderful young trans actor, who actually won our uh, jury award for best performance in a U.S. narrative. And, you know, his, his mother does not kind of recognize that he is a boy. His father has become more sympathetic to, to the notion. And the father's fear of his child's safety within the household that doesn't recognize his, his his true identity leads him to kind of go on the lamb with his son and it becomes becomes kind of a modern western father son on the lamb in in the montana wilderness story while jillian bell's character um, comes to terms with what she's gotten wrong about her child and meanwhile the detective on the case is played by the wonderful ann dowd um, i cannot and, i cannot yeah. stress enough how much when ann dowd shows up in a movie everything is better Yes. It's so and, she is so good in everything. And I'm I'm kind of I'm at the point where I'm wondering if she is ever not in front of a camera. Like <laughs> I feel like every every year at independent film festivals there's at least fifteen movies with Anne Dowd in them. And you're like, how how does she have the time? It's so funny, as an aside, you, you go to film festivals, you go to Sundance over a number of years and it's just like Patricia Clarkson, Patricia Clarkson, Patricia Clarkson. And then before that, it was like Parker Posey, Parker Posey, oh, Parker yeah. Posey. And it's like, you know, but they're always so good. These actors, you know, um, they just, they're, and Steve Zahn actually was one of them too. Steve mm -hmm. Zahn has been in a lot of stuff and I have never seen Steve Zahn be better than he is in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think he won best actor at Tribeca. However, they did their, their, their thing. He's, he's wonderful. Um, what I really love about this movie, like the, the Montana setting kind of lets it open up the conversation about, you know, masculinity to this, you know, the title kind of gives gives the hint to what they're exploring. Like Steve Zahn's character is in some sense the vision of like, you know, drinking with your friends at the bar and, and you know, riding horseback and being the guy's guy. And like that's kind of the notion of masculinity that his son is aspiring to in some ways. But it's also it also kind of undercuts that because you would not expect that type of man 
in that place to be the one sympathetic to his son's um, trans identity. And I also think Julian Bell is just very surprising and, and lovely. And I think she had the hardest job of all the actors in that film because she could have very easily been, and we'll, we'll talk about this in the interview, she could have very easily been a villain, like some kind of no. like two-dimensional, horrible mother who doesn't accept her trans son, mm. uh, but she's not. Every moment, even when she's horrible, every moment you, you see the anguish and you and, and it's so hard. That is such a hard performance to give. And she she you know I know Sasha won an award. I know Steve Zahn won an award. I feel like <laughs> Jillian really should win an she, award. Yeah, I think she was amazing. Depending on the festival, depending on the award show, she could <laughs> very well be up. Yeah, because I mean it's complete departure from what you've seen her in before. Like yeah. I, pretty much the first like intensely dramatic role she had as well. She's so fantastic. So that's Cowboys. And those are the two films we're covering this week in part one of Highlights from Outfest, Tahara and Cowboys. Thank you, Damien, and thank you, Mike. Thank you so much, thank David. And from the movie Tahara, we have Olivia Peace, the director, and Madeline Gray DeFries, the star. Welcome, you guys. Hello. Hello. Okay, so this is a really interesting movie, and it's funny because my friends know that I have a bias against square aspect ratios made in movies since 1970 or something like that. <laughs> I do. They make fun of me for it because I like have a problem with it. But in this movie, what you do with the aspect ratio, Olivia, is really interesting. First of all, tell everybody what Tahar is about, and then I'll explain what an aspect ratio is, just in case anybody doesn't know. <laughs> it's not as nerdtronics as I am about film. So Tahara ultimately is a bit of a breakup story, but it's about a friendship breaking up. Um, it's about... Two best friends, uh, Hera, Hera, Hannah and Carrie, um, who are attending a funeral for one of their uh, classmates and have a bit of a romantic moment that sort of um, leads to the decline of their relationship. And they're both young ladies. And there is, uh, this is not really a spoiler, there is a kiss. And it means much more to one than the other. And Madeline, you play the one it means much more to. Yes, yes, it did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the interesting things, like going back to the aspect ratio, the movie is shot in a way that it it looks, is it one by one? It's a square? Yeah, it's a perfect square. And then in in various moments where things take an emotional, uh, have an emotional moment, the, the movie expands to be a, a standard kind of widescreen movie in that moment. What what led to that kind of a stylistic choice? It's very bold. So that was something, honestly, I was not sure if it was going to work. Uh, this is something I pitched to producers and to um, my cinematographer, Tahila. Um, and everyone's attitude is like, okay, you know, maybe let's just try it. And we'll have some backup ideas. <laughs> um, but ultimately, I really wanted um, the emotional uh, imagination for both the girls to be a lot bigger than the reality that they're living in. That was really important to me. The animation is really lovely. Like basically it's a, you know, you're in this movie and then stuff happens and then suddenly we break out into this insane animation, which is really cool. Talk to us about like incorporating that into it. Who did the animation? So that was uh, one of my friends, Emily Ann Hoffman with an assist uh, by my my other friend Callahan. who's this awesome young animator out here in LA from Toronto. But yeah, like I kind of started before directing as an animator. 
Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so everything that I've ever directed sort of has these animated elements to it. It's interesting because the way that you tell the story and the way you frame stuff, it's very kind of classical framing. It's very, like, the, the camera... I mean, it, it moves sometimes, but it, genuinely, these are static shots. And the way that you frame it with people kind of off frame and people kind of, it's, it's very, it's very kind of hypnotic. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, Tequila, the cinematographer who shot this is a genius. And like, we're so lucky to have her. She was one of the only cinematographers that when I interviewed them about this film, was actually excited about the one-one aspect ratio and had all these ideas and references and everything. And, and they're all like, they're all like me, spirit. probably be like, why isn't it in two, three, five? Why can't we pull up the? <laughs> I want that white screen look. <laughs> but it really works yeah. for the narrative. It's like you know, because I saw this happen, and I was like, my boyfriend was watching with me. He was like, oh no. You're gonna hate it because it's like at this aspect ratio. Like I ended up, I was like, no, I actually love it. It's great. Um, Madeline, how did this movie come to you? So, okay, so I have to be honest, I thought it was a mistake when it came to me. I was like, (laughs) I was like, what? Like, I love my manager and I I love my manager, but like sometimes he'll be submitting me for like six foot tall, like white blonde. Like he thinks that I can do anything. So, of course, I was like, oh, my gosh, like it's one of those cases. So I almost just didn't send my tape. I almost just didn't do it because I was like, oh my gosh, they're gonna they're gonna cast like a small, like petite white woman who looks small on camera and and whatever. And then I was with a friend and he was like, Why can't this be you? Like, let's just do it. And so I was like, okay, like let me do my audition, okay, like I'll do it. And as I was doing the audition, I was like, this is so good. Like just like the words coming out of my mouth, like and the script, I was like, this is so good and i got the call back which was going to be in person and i was like okay so it didn't come to me by mistake let's (laughs) let's jump in so i immediately just like looked up everyone who was part of it already and i stumbled across olivia's website and i was like okay like no matter what whether i end up in this film or whatever this woman is incredible. I need to work with her one day. And then she was on my my director bucket list, and I just got so lucky and got to do this her first feature. <laughs> that is so cool. Let's talk about your DP. Like, how did your DP approach it? And, and, you know, for all the indie film nerds, I will just ask, what you shoot it on? Okay, so uh, we shot it on Alexa Mini um, with these really gorgeous lenses, um, the Ingenues, and... Uh, from the camera test, I was like, oh, this is going to look really beautiful. Um, and we knew that was super important because we thought we might be shooting in sort of lower lighting conditions because it's in a synagogue. And we knew we wouldn't be able to bring that many lights as well. Like me and Tequila are based in Los Angeles and we had to just sort of bring the equipment that we could get. Um, and one of our lights actually, unfortunately, was like damaged on the plane. So we ended up with actually one and a half lights oh my God, to shoot the shot- entire. That, okay, so <laughs> listen, people who have seen this movie will know what I'm talking about. But but I would imagine that a lot of people who are listening to this have not seen it. It looks gorgeous. Yeah. And, you know, our cinematographer, Tequila DeCastro, um, just has such a... She, I mean, she's really just an artist, you know, and it's such an honor, I think, to be working with so many people on this film who are 
really artists, you know, and not in it for the money or for the clout. And I think that that sort of love and passion that everyone had for the script and for each other just kind of ended up coming through. Well, in 2020, yeah. nobody's in it for the money in independent film. I probably, yeah, <laughs> probably not in 2010 <laughs> or 2000 or any other time either, but it's like, you know, but it's, you can feel the love in this film. So the film takes place over one day, um, all in a synagogue, all having to do with the funeral of one of their friends who we learn has taken her own life. And, you know, it, it kind of revolves around this class that's, that's being taught about grief to these, these teenagers trying to cope with it. And uh, Madeline, you're one of an ensemble, but you are basically the main character. Can you explain to me what the title means? It's explained in the film, but explain it to our, our listeners. Yeah, so Tahara is like the cleansing of the body. In Jewish culture, it's like the cleansing of the body after death. And um, I feel like... For me, that title and like for like my journey as and through the character was like kind of this cleansing of being like, okay, well, here we are at like this huge turning point, literally life or death. Like, what can I strip away? What can I cleanse myself from? Right, and you have the arc of of all of the characters in the ensemble. There are a lot of really wonderful characters. But you're the one with the, the biggest and most notable character arc. You have your moment and you have your moment at the end where you make a very big decision. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to give anything away. <laughs> <laughs> Not really a spoiler. But like, did you, did you, how did you prep for this character? Rachel and I, so who played um, Hannah. So Hannah and Carrie, best friends. Also such so, a great performance, by the way. So, such, such a, a great performance. performance. And such a fun scene partner. Um so we met at our costume fitting, and we were like, okay, so tomorrow we're shooting, and we got to be best friends. <laughs> so <laughs> let's go to dinner. Let's get to know each other. And it was so great because as we're getting to know each other and, like, working together to build these characters, we're still we're, we're getting to know each other as people, you know, as actors and then also as friends, you know, and, like, hanging out and then running the scene and then watching Game of Thrones. And so it was so <laughs> fun to, like, build this friendship authentically so we could see it actually play out in these characters on screen and then so much of Carrie I also feel like is is being so hyper aware of her surroundings and having like a feeling and an insecurity about every single thing you can see that the perceptiveness in the performance you can see that she's just like taking everything in and learning how to kind of like okay this situation is happening how do I play it so that I'm not going to get like hurt or outed or whatever yeah and I think so much of that I mean it was my first time in Rochester New York and like I said um when I was saying oh I thought this this film coming to me was a mistake I'm not Jewish and so I was in this like environment where I was like okay like this whole film is based around like this Jewish faith. And so I'm really transplanted in this completely different world. So a lot of that was kind of me, Maddie, stepping back and like really looking at all these things that are completely new to me and like new to like my life experience and not necessarily like hyper analyzing them in the way that Carrie would, but really just kind of like being present in the moment. So Olivia, you did not write this film. I did not. <laughs> Jess, Jess Zeidman write, wrote this film. And I think, what is it her first feature that she wrote? It is Jess's first feature. Are, were you guys friends? What spoke to you about this script? How did it come to you? 
It's actually a pretty interesting story. So Jess and I went to Northwestern University in different years, um, and I didn't know her very well, like when we were in college, but Jess wrote the script as a part of a class actually called Writing the Low Budget Feature. And that's a good class to have. One it. location with like limited characters, like especially in COVID times, like that's actually pretty important, I think. Extremely, yeah. But yeah, so she finished the script. Dasha, who's one of the producers on the film, uh, read it as a part of that class and loved it so much. She was like, we have to make this. So uh, she had just think about directors that might want to come on for the to direct the project and I had a couple of shorts out at the time and one of which got this like fellowship with the Sundance Institute. So just sort of knew of me from that and reached out over email, um, but apparently had sent it to the wrong email. So, <laughs> so I didn't respond and she thought that I hated the film. Um, but eventually Dasha was like, okay, let's try one more time. They got the email right. I read it. And I will never forget, I was projecting it up on the wall of our living room and doing sort of a live reading with my roommate. And we got to this part where Hannah pops a zit in the mirror. Oh, yes. And yeah, that, that's, as, a, that's a moment. I was like, you know, mm, makeup. It's kind of <laughs> iconic. And I, I realized in that moment. Mm. Yeah, it really is. Our, our makeup Shout artist, Claire, Claire yeah. yes, had Love so Claire. many prosthetic zits each day, a different oh size. God. Like, <laughs> you had to measure the prosthetic zits. Yeah, yeah, because we wanted the zit to like grow over time. But that was something where I read it and I was like, oh, I have so many ideas for how I would want this to be. You, so you had to pay attention yeah. to zit continuity, is what you're saying. Yes. Wow. <laughs> a lot of zit continuity. This is, this is the glamorous indie film life that people seem to think is, you know, <laughs> so glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's it's a it's a stunning, stunning film. Um, you know, I did want to ask about the Jewish experience. I am not Jewish. Uh, Madeline, you say you're not Jewish. Olivia, are you Jewish? I'm not Jewish either. It's, so it's an this extremely is one. it's an extremely Jewish. It, it's it's rooted very much in a Jewish tradition. It takes place in a synagogue. It's very much in this culture. Um, like, kind of, did you have to kind of like take like a a, a crash course in Judaism? Okay, what I will say, so we got lucky <laughs> because, so, you know, it's like we have the whole Hebrew school environment, right? Yeah. And it's actually the Hebrew school that Jess went to growing up. Oh, that's amazing. So Did she, at, Was she on set, like, trying to keep it real? Yeah, she oh, was yeah. totally there every step of the way. Yeah. Since we were at, like, at the Hebrew school, there's, like, like, posters and things all over the place like that they teach in class. So during breaks, like, during breaks of filming, I would run over to a poster and be like, like, just, like, learn about the Jewish faith and, like, just be reading all these, like, educational materials. I was like, we're here. I'm learning as we go. Yeah. I also kind of came from a documentary background. So when it comes to directing a project, like, even if I think I do know the subject matter, I try to put in a lot of research into it. So for this project, I was like, okay, if I'm going to do it, if this is going to be my first feature I'm going to be in it, in it. So I actually called up like a bunch of my friends and I was like, okay, I'm going to interview you. I had like three hour long interviews with a bunch of my friends just asking about Hebrew school, asking about like their upbringing, um, getting into more like philosophical questions. Um, we interviewed some rabbis. <laughs> I also, we like actually went to a funeral um, at the synagogue as well. It's someone like really opened up to let us like take part in 
Um, and the cantor actually at that synagogue, Temple Bethel, shout out to them. Um, <laughs> let us interview him as well. And just like sort of went through the script to make sure that everything was correct. Like that, you know, because we have a whole funeral scene and we wanted to make sure that everything was running as it would in real life. Well, the diligence and commitment and, and research really show in the film. It really, really is very immersive and lovely. So for a movie that takes place over one day, how many days did it take to shoot it? <laughs> we only had 15 days and some of the days, so the temple was actually um, under construction for the entire time we were shooting there. So oh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you cut the hammering for like two minutes? Yeah, literally. <laughs> so for some of the days, we would literally show up and be like, we're not sure which scene we're going to shoot today. We would have one scene planned, but maybe there's a backup in case they're hammering on the roof. In fact, like the first day's scenes, and this sort of just kind of speaks to, you know, a lot of people, this is their first feature film, uh, myself included. So the first day... Uh, we shot something. I think it was actually the end scene. <laughs> and luckily, our editor, Troy, was on set. So I had him really quickly edit a string out for us. And I watched it and I was like, oh, my God, this looks terrible. <laughs> so we actually had to reshoot that. Um, so we had, you know, very little time. And we couldn't shoot on Saturdays. Um and after Friday night, of course. But this goes to show the importance of uh, one of the good things you can do is have an editor on set because then when the editor gets that footage, and this is kind of like the, the good thing about digital is like because you have it immediately, um, you'll know if you're in trouble and you'll know like right then so you can actually address it. It's like, you know, it's, it's a really great thing about shooting on digital. Yeah, shout out to Troy. Um, <laughs> He actually came. Troy is like one of my good friends and a really brilliant editor and director in his own right. Um, and literally the week before the shoot, I was like, hey, we don't have any money, um, <laughs> but I just feel like we need you on set. And he was like, oh, I'll come and do whatever. And then he ended up taking over the edit uh, for the film. So. <laughs> well, it's really fantastic. I just have to say, Madeline, like you and your troop of actors, like there's not a bad performance out there. I mean, it's just Thank really, you. really, really great. Um, and I hope everybody sees it. I hope it, it comes around. I know that it premiered It premiered at Slamdance, correct? It did. And it's won a couple of awards, right? It has. One of them at Outfest. Yes. <laughs> it's, is it Tahara? I was calling it Tahara, and that's wrong. It's Tahara, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. It's like the lilt. So everyone, Ta Tahara, <laughs> keep an eye out for it. Is there is there a website that they can be, the people can uh, kind of look to? We do have an Instagram, and it's at Tahara the Film. <laughs> so go to that Instagram, at Tahara the Film. It's a great movie. Thank you so much, Olivia Pease and Madeline DeFries. Thank you so much. Thank you. Do you want to know more about Outfest? Of course you do. You're listening to this podcast. Outfest is the only LGBTQIA arts, media, and entertainment nonprofit organization in the world whose programs empower artists, communities, and filmmakers alike to transform the world through their stories while also supporting the entire life cycle of their career 
from outset to legacy. And what that means is it is one of the largest LGBT film festivals in the world and one of the largest film festivals in North America. Also, Outfest has a tremendous number of programs for young filmmakers as well as archivists preserving gay stories for all time. It is a truly outstanding organization. And especially right now, we would love your help. Please go to outfest.org and learn how you can become a member of this fantastic organization. And I'm pleased to welcome writer-director Anna Kerrigan and star Sasha Knight of the movie Cowboys. Welcome, you guys. Thank Hi. you. So, Anna, I want to start with you. Like, this is such a great movie. Like, you wrote it. What inspired you? Like, how did this all come about? Well, I actually uh, went to Montana, this particular part of Montana, which is Flathead County. Um, starting when I was 10 years old, I was visiting there with my best friend during the summers. And it just became a place that I loved and I could never get it out of my head. Um, so when I moved, I spent a lot of time, I grew up in LA, I spent a lot of time in New York. And then when I moved back to Los Angeles like five years ago, I started to write this script set in Montana. And all I knew was that there was a father and a son running away from something. And that's how the movie started to me was just a father and son on a horse in Montana. And it just sort of organically developed from there. Well, it's an incredible story. I mean, had you, before this movie began, because I'm, I'm not really giving anything away, the, the, the child in this that's running away with the father is played by Steve Zahn. By the way, amazing performance. Amazing performances for everybody. I, I want to get into that because the acting of every single person in this movie just blew me away. But uh, the child is a trans boy. Had you had experience with trans people or trans issues when you wrote this? Well, I, I am not trans myself. I have always had people from the LGBTQ community in my life. Um, basically starting in college, I was the RA of the, the queer co-op. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, you know, was amazing. Um, yeah, try, try, and- to get us, try to get us to show up on time. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm more speaking for me, but it was really fun. It was a wild, wild house. Let me just tell you. But, um, and then after that, I moved to New York and I did a lot of theater. I had worked with a trans actor before on a web series I made called the impossibilities. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, because there are people from the community in my life, they always find their way into my stories. And, you know, I had had something else previously at Outfest. So, yeah, so my experience, you know, I, like I said, I am not trans. It was, uh, I did a lot of research and I talked to people that I know who are transgender. I had Glad consult on the script. The Montana Film Office, which really supported us both with a grant and just like through various forms of support along the way. Oh, that's great that you got a grant. That's uh, especially yeah. these days, it's so hard to get a grant like that and actually like implement it. And uh, oh. that's fantastic. Yeah. And Montana's a wonderful place to shoot, I have to say. Uh, but anyways, when they, they brought us up for a scout and I think we landed in Missoula. I always mix up Missoula and Bozeman. But the first night that we were there, they set up a dinner for us with um, a number of people from the trans community in Montana, which is very, I mean, it's not like being transgender in New York or LA. No, of and course. That, and that was really wonderful and, you know, sort of like 
reiterated to me how important this specific story is and how much it needs to be told. And I stayed in touch with a woman um, who's a therapist for transgender kids specifically in Montana. And she also helped me along the way sort of refine the story. Well, one of the things that struck me more than anything is, is how authentic it felt and how authentic the difficult scenes, the, the scene where, where Sasha's character basically comes out to his dad and says, like, I am not a girl, I am a boy. And there are scenes like that in this film, throughout this film, that just felt incredibly lived in, incredibly authentic. Um, you know, you're, you're really to be congratulated for really doing the hard work on this and the research on it to really get it right. Thanks. You know, I, I want to say, like, the casting in this film, Sasha in particular, but the casting throughout the film is just phenomenal. Basically, the, there are four, like, leads, really. And, uh, you know, there's the, the mom and the dad, played by Jillian Bell, and uh, Steve Zahn. And, of course, Sasha is the child. And the police detective, who basically, you know, kind of goes after them, played by Ann Dowd, who, she can show up in any movie, and I'm immediately like, oh, good. And doubt is here. Like I'm, I'm, I'm automatically, I'm in a better place because she's she in she every movie she's in, it just gets better because she's in it. I she's just one of those <laughs> actors that is like that. Um, but Sasha, how how did you become a part of this, Sasha? So first, I was mostly just doing voiceover at the time, and then we got the audition and. I like my mom really didn't want me doing on camera, but we got the audition and the character was trans, so my mom was like, "Yeah, we should do it." So then we recorded it in my bedroom, and then I got a call back, and it was so much fun. And we just drove up there, and and then I got another call back, and then I booked it. That is amazing. So wait, how did your how did your kind of coming out experience in your life? I'm, it's not as dramatic as this film because like in the film. You know, literally, the dad, <laughs> the dad escapes with you to try to get away uh, because because you know the, the mom who, by the way, we have to talk about Jillian Bell because her performance in this movie it, it <laughs> yeah. could have been so easy to write her as a terrible person, so easy to write her as this awful monster. She is not. She is literally like heartfelt and moving the entire time, and like that is a really really hard thing for an actor to do i like of, of all the actors in this film i feel like she had the highest you know leap to do because like she had to be sympathetic and yeah. really say <laughs> and be incredibly unsympathetic like the right. things the things that she yes. was saying yes and jillian is such a sweetheart and she had a really hard time <laughs> i mean she I can she imagine. didn't she didn't like acting wise she did a great job but i but i think emotionally she felt terrible about some of the things that she has to say to sasha and steve through the course of the film <laughs> um but yeah i mean for me it was important that that character i mean i think you know <laughs> I know a lot of people in that part of the world and in other places that are, are you know, let's just say the middle, even though it's reductive. Um, and my experience has been that, you know, a lot of bigotry just stems from people not knowing someone who right. is it's the ignorance. other. It's ignorance. Yeah, yeah it's, it's ignorance. ignorance. Yeah, yeah. And But that's why know, movies like this are so important. And that's why Sasha... Your performance is so important, and I, and I do want to get back to your your own story of coming out, like in reality, because you are a trans boy, you are a trans actor. Um, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, I'm 11. That's and you shot this, I would imagine, what a year ago. I was 10 when I shot this. So you were already out to your parents. Like, how did that work? How did that happen? So you know how like most people have like these crazy coming out stories. Mine was not that at all. <laughs> Mine was really simple, and like I was 
outside looking like a boy, so people mistake me as that a lot when I was not out. And I literally was just like, one night, so they were talking about how someone mis- like called me a boy, and I'm like, but I am a boy. And then I was like, okay. <laughs> That's literally it. <laughs> and we were all just sitting on the couch, and that was literally it. It's not like super crazy, but yeah. But that's amazing. I mean, and it's amazing, and and to the credit of your parents, because like a lot of parents, I think have and would have a hard time with that. And and it's really a credit to your parents that, I mean, did they know trans people? Did they were they aware of trans issues before you you came out to them? Um. Yes, we are very involved. We were very involved with the LGBTQIA plus community before I was out. So they knew about that stuff. And like, my mom's best friend is gay. So, like, she's very involved with that and stuff. And it does go back to the importance of movies like this. Uh, But let's let's talk about the filmmaking itself. So how long were you out in Montana? We shot in um, Flathead Valley, which is like, uh, uh, it's it's really, it's just west of Glacier Park. Uh So northwestern Montana. Um, it, it is beautiful. It's, it's near, we shot between Kalispell and Whitefish and, uh, sort of in the national forest along the west side of Glacier Park, but not actually in the park. We were just right up, like in those river scenes where the river Mm -hmm. gets a lot bigger. That's all along the edge of Glacier. And there is a scene where Sasha and Steve find themselves in some rapids, and it's a, it's a bit of an action scene. And I was oh, I was watching God. that, I was like, okay, so Sasha. That was literally the worst day of my life. <laughs> I actually had Sasha, a lot of fun what was that, like? that. You look like you were in a washing machine. <laughs> so, so there was like this little edge pool thingy and I was wearing like four I was only wearing two two wetsuits underneath my clothes and I was just like splashing around and it was only like literally up to like my waist but I was like down like this and up wow <laughs> and I so had like a let's, let's thing shout in my out to foot. the editor right now yes there were <laughs> stunt people actually yeah. going through the rapids oh my god you had stunt people you see this yes. is nice it's nice it's like guess there are indie films and then there are indie films and if you had the money for stunt people then god bless that's that's well, fantastic we, we didn't have the money for them, <laughs> but we got them anyways so ju- just so it's clear so i don't get in trouble for no, that's like even child better. endangerment <laughs> we, the you know the water was pretty cold and the stunt coordinator was was really clear with me. He said, you know, Sasha and Steve can be in the water splashing for like X, like a minute, two minutes or three yeah. minutes. It was something really limited. What month was so it that you shot? It must have been in we the actually, winter. We were shooting at this time last year. We started shooting September 12th. Wow, and it was already and that cold in the in water. October. It was so cold. Yeah, it was, well, it's glacial water. Wow. Know? So they, so we we broke up the whole thing into chunks, but like essentially all the close-ups of, of Sasha and Steve were supervised and just off camera, there's like people <laughs> splashing them. And <laughs> Um, but it was, it was cold. I felt bad for Sasha. And I was like, <laughs> but he, he was very bad. well protected. You know, you, you guys are being like, oh, it must be so cold. And I'm like, not really. But I was wearing two wetsuits. So it's yeah. not like I was like, just well, going yeah. But then you got to move around in them. You know, you right. got to like, you got to like do your, your, your thrashing around in a wetsuit. That's a lot. Well, yeah. We also... We were at the end of this crazy road and my amazing producer, Gigi, 
somehow, I still don't understand how, set up this inflatable jacuzzi for Steve and Sasha and the stunt people. I don't know where they plugged it in, how it was warm. I mean, it wasn't, <laughs> Sasha, it wasn't like an amazing jacuzzi, but it was warm. Right? I didn't go in it because I left after I did that what? scene. But I think this. What a waste! <laughs> <laughs> I I was looking at it being like, why didn't I bring my swimsuit at the end of that night? So so how many days ish did you shoot? You shot like five weeks? We shot four well, Sasha got up there a week. I was up there two or three weeks in advance. Right. We shot for twenty days, five days. Oh, that's amazing. The the fact that you got this kind of a movie. And and it's not because it's not. I mean, it's it's a real movie. I mean, I want to you know say this with quotes. It's a real <laughs> movie. I mean, there are action scenes. There's like these vistas. There are shots and and sequences that are very hard to set up. That must have taken it quite a while. And if you only if you did this in twenty days, that is a really impressive feat. Thank you. Yeah. Whenever with with all of the sort of wilderness exterior stuff, anything with stunts, yeah. we shot in the first nine days, and we had two cameras. Yeah. And then after that point we went to one camera, but it was it was a haul. I mean, it was a very it was a very grueling shoot for sure. I mean, we had fun. I had I had a blast, but it was it was tough. So what was it like kind of directing the scenes with with Steve and um Jillian? They're just so in love and it breaks your heart to watch them come apart. Good. They're like, that's the point. But like, what was that like to like kind of work with these these actors, these fantastic actors, like giving this this performance? I mean, they both Steve and Jillian cared so much about their roles. I mean, all all the actors did. You know, Sasha and I started prepping together in LA. Like what, Sasha? Like two months before? Like probably more than that. I mean, as soon as we. Yeah, like we would meet up and talk about the character like one day a week, right? Something like that. Maybe have a meal. Um, and and Jillian and Steve and Anne, I checked in with them along the way. The way that I like to work is I, you know, I like to cast and then tailor the script. Not crazily, but I went through the script with all the actors over the phone. Just on a timeline, like what we had, like the amount of time I had to shoot, I didn't want to be on on set and have an actor say, I don't actually know what's happening in this scene. Nobody ever has enough money. Nobody ever has enough time. And it's like, what do you do to best use the the assets and the time and the people that you have? And what you're describing, um, this flexibility of vision and flexibility of like initiating and executing is so important for independent filmmakers and so important for people to understand that like, you know, there's a good chunk of these movies that is just like about pivoting and pivoting. And and sometimes it can be something even better, but it's like, you got to pivot and you got to work with it. Yes. You have to have a very strong plan so that you have flexibility, right? So, you know, I mean, there were so many curveballs that that we were <laughs> tossed during the course of shooting that I was very grateful that, you know, all the actors had given time to me to chat beforehand. Um, but I mean, both Steve, Jillian, you know, and Sasha, everyone had put so much work into the roles. By the time that we got there, they were fully fleshed out people. Steve and Jillian had wonderful chemistry together. And, you know, there was sometimes my job is to stay out of the way. Uh, yes if it's going well you just stand back 
And um, Sasha, you won an award at Outfest this year, didn't you? Yes. And what was the? What, you tell us what the award was. It was the best performance of the U.S. Narrative Competition Jury Award. That was good. You remembered the whole <laughs> thing. I wouldn't have been able to say that. So are, are your parents softening up on maybe you doing more on-camera stuff? I've, yes. So after I booked the movie, my mom was like, well, you're doing a movie, so you might as well do more auditions. So yeah. then now I do like a lot of on-camera auditions. Like I had a lot recently, even though it's Corona, which I was like, oh my God, I'm having so many and it's Corona. It's like, it's like with, even with the pandemic, people are still prepping. People are still trying to get things done and, and make things work. It's, it's really, it's a challenging time for everybody, but, um, but you know, it, 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 it hasn't stopped like stop stopped everybody right um and and things are still getting shot it's you know it's it's just you know everyone has to be really careful yes yeah yes totally is this your first feature anna i made a little i like to call it a little ditty of a feature that went nowhere <laughs> when i was in my 20s so i mean i i think like technically we're saying it is do you know you what can, i mean you can say you can it's your fear and desire like as I say, Stanley exactly. Kubrick. He made Stanley Kubrick made Fear and Desire, and he hated it so much he tried to like buy up all the prints, and you know, uh, and then he says his first movie was like the the one after or the one after that. So right, right. Well, I yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> I didn't I couldn't afford to go to film school, so that was like I mean the that feature that I made was like sixty thousand dollars, like it was tiny, right. tiny, tiny, and that was my film school. Before that movie, I think it's so scary to make a movie, and anyone who's listening and wants to make a movie. I understand how terrifying it is. Um, but for me, that movie was, it changed me from, from you know, it was my walk through the flames, right? Like I started off being like, I'm an aspiring director who maybe someday will like do something. And then through making that little movie, I felt, you know, like I could do it. Even but if that's that, how you do it. Right, even if it wasn't that awesome. No, look, I mean, that's how you do it. You do it through shorts, you do it through, th you do you do work that doesn't work until it does. Exactly. And I, and I tell people, like, everybody has this this birth of work that's going to suck. Totally. And it's just like, it's just like, don't avoid it. Just do the work that sucks yes. and get it out of your system. Get it all out. Nobody knows how much of it it is. Some, like, for some directors, it's an awful lot. But like for most of us, it's only like a little bit. So you just get it done. Yes. And I think that one thing that, you know, I think as a director, you feel like you have to stand by everything you've done so confidently. But, you know, I, I privately, well, I'm, not, I'm doing, I'm airing it out here, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, every, everything I make, I try to, you know, congratulate myself for what I did well, but also think about what I could have done better and, you know, the, what I learned from the process of what I can bring to the next one. I just think it's so important. It is. Um, it also and, drives me crazy when I see people make bad movies and they're like, my amazing movie. And I'm like, it wasn't amazing. Let's be honest. <laughs> Like, what can you do better next time? Well, I mean, you know, but but it's advice like that that I find is much more inspiring to independent filmmakers and, and up-and-coming filmmakers than the standard crap you hear about. Like, no, you just got to do, you know, do this and it's all great and whatever. It's like, no, you're going to fall on your face maybe and it's okay. Like, yeah. you can make a bad movie and it's okay. You're going to do it because this is about the doing. It's not – and Cowboys, bringing it back to your movie – is such an ambitious movie to do on a small budget. You've got Montana, you've got these giant vistas, you've got action scenes, you've got these actors, and you're also working with themes that are very sensitive. And the fact that you got it all right, 
You really did. You got all of these things right. It's just an astonishing achievement. Thank you. I'm like, thanks, David. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to have a good day. You should have a good day. <laughs> I watched this I watched this film um, with my boyfriend last night, and my boyfriend had no idea what it was about, and he just sat down with me, and, and we were just like taken with this so much oh, that's and, so great. and the ending you know it's just a lump in my throat I felt so fantastic and I could not wait to talk to you guys thank you so much I mean it's kind of crazy but because of COVID we got interrupted in our post so I actually haven't delivered the final sound and color. Ooh, so I've, I've still been that doing out. that. <laughs> like, we're, cut, we're cutting that out. We, um, can, we can cut that out. So basically, anyways, just between you and I, I am, I'm delivering the film hopefully tomorrow. But it's, I mean, honestly, for, for uh, again, for filmmakers, deliverables are endless. Um, yeah. and it's endless, like being endless, in endless. labor for like six months. I mean, but it's crazy. but Anna, that sounds like you might have a distributor. Tell me I'm right. Yes, yes, we sold to Samuel Goldwyn, which is yes. super exciting. Um, and so it will be available on streaming. Streaming. At some point, I maybe, mean, I, maybe a little theaters, theatrical. Who maybe. knows? Nobody knows know. what's happening. It's 2020. We know, we don't know what's happening. But the good news is, at some point, probably in the next few months, you will be able to see Cowboys with Steve Zahn and Sasha Knight, written directed by Anna Kerrigan. And I really, really recommend you do because it's a really great little movie. Um, thank you Yay. guys so much for being on the Outcast. I so appreciate it. Thank yes. you for having us. And next week on part two of Highlights from Outfest, we'll be talking to filmmakers from the films Two Eyes, P.S. Burn This Letter Please, and Dramarama. They're three incredibly good films, so I hope to catch you then. And this has been The Outcast, presented by Outfest. For more, go to outfest.org slash theoutcast. The Outcast is executive produced by Ismail El-Sharif and Alan Koningsberg. The Outcast is mixed by Craig Lawrence Smith. Special thanks to Damien Navarro and the entire Outfest team. Music by West One Music Group. For more information about Outfest, the film festival, the programs, and all the ways that you can help support LGBT voices, go to outfest.org. The Outcast is a production of Milton Ventures Media and Triple Fire Productions. I'm David Kittredge. Thank you so much for listening in. Catch you next time. <laughs>